A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile against you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now from the first letter of John. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When He is revealed, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. The word of the Lord. All right, everybody but Katie and Matt can participate in this. How many of you got to go to Katie and Matt's wedding? Hold your hand up. Okay. How many of you are like me and had to stay home? Hold your hand up. Okay. I believe we have a majority here. <laughs> On the Wednesday night, right after Katie and Matt's wedding, Barbara Red Miles, you see, you're not used to having your name called in the sermon, are you, Barbara? I saw her jump. Barbara Red Miles brought a whole stack of snapshots of what happened at the wedding. I didn't get to go along with many of you, but it was wonderful to see some snapshots, see some of your faces, see Katie and Matt and them in the actual wedding. It was good to see some snapshots when you can't be there. The Beatitudes, the text that Keith read to us, in that we see some glimpses some snapshots of what God's rule is going to look like when it's fully realized. We see snapshots of the kingdom, if you will. Blessed are those who, these words serve as a kind of proverb, if you will. There is a common misunderstanding about these verses that we know as the Beatitudes. They're not prescriptions for a better and happier life. 
That's not the purpose of this Sermon on the Mount. They are not prescriptions, but rather descriptions, snapshots about the presence of God's rule in the world. Jesus is not giving us more shoulds and oughts here, but rather he's offering us a picture of a new world, a snapshot of a new world. And Jesus is on the journey toward that world and wants you and me to go with him. So he gives us these pictures, if you will. Once again, they're not admonitions for ethical living. They are promises to those in these situations. Jesus is saying, you may be oppressed, burdened, and neglected now, but God will straighten everything out when God's reign arrives in all its glory. In Alan Patton's novel, Cry the Beloved Country, an old South African pastor, Stephen Kumalo, goes to Johannesburg to find his son, and he, he locates his son Jonathan in jail. He's in jail for killing a white lawyer named Arthur Jarvis, who had been an advocate for black civil rights in South Africa. Stephen Kumalo, the old South African pastor, goes to the elder Jarvis, Arthur's father, to apologize for his son killing his son. The father of the slain white attorney receives the father of the son who killed his own son with grace and dignity. Upon learning that the old South African pastor's little church needed a new house of worship, the elder Jarvis vows to build a new one. He also promises to send earth-moving equipment to build a dam for the village so that people will have water year-round. The very rumor, the, very, the word gets out, and the very rumor of what is to be done sends a raging hope throughout the whole village. There will be water for every need. There will be laughter and singing and dancing once again. But nothing's happened yet. And yet it is as if it already has. Patton writes, although nothing has come yet, something is here already. Everything has changed. That's the way it is for the blessed ones Jesus describes here. Nothing has happened yet. They are still poor, they're oppressed, they're tired. But it is as if everything has changed. The rule of God is on its way and we see these snapshots. And you know, if I perceive that God rewards those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and I claim to be a follower of Jesus, then I can be moved to say, you know, it's not enough for me to fortify my own home and take care of my own family, regardless of what happens to the world out there. I must get involved in the search for, for more ethical government, for fairer laws, for more just society. And, you know, if, if, if I realize that the pure in heart actually see God more clearly and wonderfully than I do, then I may begin to seek more disciplined ways of cleansing and renewing my own life so that I may 
live more sensitively to God's presence and work in my daily life. I'll live closer to God. And if I understand that God looks with loving kindness on those who suffer in some way for their faith, I may start to ponder, why is it, why is it that I'm not suffering in any way? Is it because my faith is so anemic that it doesn't even catch the attention of an evil world? Am I merely just drifting along in my faith? See, it's not shoulds and oughts, but it asks us some questions if we'll listen. You see, when prayerfully and carefully considered, these have the ability to sensitize us to what the rule of God is about. They can help us begin to see the world as God sees and thus reorient our lives to service and humility. You see, it is all a matter of seeing. How do you see the world? Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. How do you see the world? The Beatitudes push us towards viewing the world as God sees it. They're not so much something we're supposed to do, but something we're to see. Sometimes we come to church thinking that it's about doing. Sometimes at its best, the church is a way of seeing. It's a matter of vision. In the novel Joshua, Joshua has moved to the outskirts of a small town. He lives very simply and openly, with kindness, generosity towards all. The townspeople are suspicious of him at first because he's a stranger with ways that are so unlike theirs. But eventually they come to admire him and to like him. One day, a factory owner, Aaron Fawn, asked Joshua, How'd you come to be the way you are? Why do you want to know? Because, because I can't understand how anyone could develop the vision of life that you have. It's so foreign, it's so foreign to my way of thinking, so different from the thinking of, of anybody I know. Well, each person looks, looks at life through, through a different vision. Three men can look at a tree. One man will see so many board feet of valuable lumber worth so much money. The second will see it as so much firewood to keep his family warm in the winter. But the third, the third man will see it as a masterpiece of God's creative art given to humankind as an expression of God's love and enduring strength with a value far beyond its worth in money or firewood. <clears throat> Joshua said, you know what? What we live for 
determines what we see. What we live for determines what we see. Well, who taught you to think that way? It's what I see. You could see it too. You could see it too if you could detach yourself from the things you were taught to value. They don't give you peace. They don't give you lasting satisfaction. They leave you empty. Filled with the longing for something more. I think Joshua was and is right. How do you see the world? We will be like him, for we will see him like he is. Two things today. We give thanks for both the living and the dead, but particularly those who have gone on, those saints, who have given us glimpses, snapshots, if you will, to see the world as God sees it. And through them, through our memory of them, we catch a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like. But then we also, today, come to the table. The one who more than anyone else showed and continues to show us what the kingdom of God looks like. How do you see the world? Amen.